Okay, let's do this. We're headed over. If you don't have notes, raise your hand. They'll hand that to you as we just get started. Let me just get your minds working on this snowy day. Name a Christmas show that's on every year. White Christmas. Rudolph was on last night. Elf. Wonderful Life. Here's what they said. Wonderful Life, Grinch, Frosty, Charlie Brown, Christmas, Christmas Story, and Rudolph. Here's one. Name an item stores, stores probably have a hard time selling after Christmas. Probably Christmas trees. That, that's got to be number one. Okay. What else? Ornaments, fruitcake. I think stores should have a tough time selling fruitcake anytime. Okay. Here they, here's what they said. Toys, Christmas cards, wrapping paper. I don't know about some of that. When do you buy your wrapping paper and stuff? Right? Okay, so you're not does that. So. Or and cards, same thing. They said ornaments and trees was number one. Here's a more difficult one. Name a skill on a person's resume they might claim they are better at than they really are. What? Spelling? Getting along, typing. What else? Now, none of, us, none of us have ever done this, but what did Technology you say? Use. Technology use. Here's what they said. Foreign language, sales, communication, working hard, <laughs> <laughs> computer knowledge, and number one, Joyce, what did you say? Yeah, yeah, it was just that word processing typing idea. Name a place a hubby might go with his wife just to get her to stop nagging. Shopping. What's that? Yeah, it doesn't work, does it? <laughs> Where else? What? What'd you say? Church? Church? Oh, my word. Oh, my word. Dentist? Doctors, period, for men. Just plain doctors, okay? Ballet. True, okay. Here we go. Hawaii. Nag me. <laughs> In-laws. Mm. None of us will say amen out loud. Okay. Church. Those 18 people are going to burn. Okay. <laughs> Movies, restaurant, and number one was going shopping. Okay, speaking of nagging. Okay, what we're talking about is becoming like the master. And one of the areas that we left off last week was dealing with, we've talked about holiness, we've talked about the idea of uh, being compassionate. We are talking about speech. Do you think the Lord nagged? Think in his speech the Lord nagged people? No? No? Okay, he was just insistent at times. Okay, where we were stopping is just at John chapter 7 and looking at a passage. And where, what we were talking about is there are several passages in the scriptures that give us some tidbit of information about Jesus Christ and his speech. And there's one that's predicted grace is going to be poured in his lips. And then we find out in Luke 4, exactly, they saw that, he, that gracious words proceeded out of his mouth. Matthew 7, as Chapter 1, both have the idea he spoke, that he spoke better than any of their common teachers. We talked about what that meant. That has the idea that with authority, he didn't have to rely upon quoting some other teachers, preachers, things like that. He just knew the Word of God and was able to present it with his own authority. And so what we did understand is that his speech is impacting. The one passage that we were looking at last week and stopped with is John 7, which I think is a, just a fantastic uh, uh, 
um, eye-opener. It is when Jesus is speaking at the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. There's crowds coming to him, but they have already determined that they want to get rid of him. If you look at verse 40, 41, they have, uh, the, the leaders want him arrested. So they send their own soldiers, not the Roman soldiers. The Sanhedrin sends the Jewish policemen um, that would be working for the Sanhedrin, work in the temple area. They send them to go and arrest Jesus and bring him back. This is now before the eventual arrest that's going to take place in a few months. But they're, they're kind of ahead of their schedule, but it's because his hour has not yet come. So they send the men to arrest, and the men come back and they make this statement. The soldiers don't say we're afraid of the people and the crowds that are gathering around Jesus. Now, that'll come up at another time. But they say, not this time. They say, we didn't come, be, we didn't arrest him because never man spake like this man. There's two possibilities of what they were getting at. The one possibility is the idea that he is the most amazing teacher. They just were overwhelmed by his speaking abilities. And they're coming back and they're telling their bosses that nobody is, no human teacher is on the same par as Jesus. By the way, their bosses are their teachers. So, <laughs> now think about it. You're coming back and saying, you guys don't hold a candle to Jesus. That had to make them thrilled if that's what it was. The other possible rendering is they're referring to, and it's, it's a, a clandestine way, it's a subtle way that they are saying, we are wondering if he is more than a man, is the intent. In other words, they're starting to wonder, maybe he is Messiah, just like it says in verse 40 and 41, that some of the people in the crowds were believing he's Messiah. The response of the teachers, okay, when they respond is verse 47, are you deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? That possibility seems stronger in their response that the idea that this might be more than a mere man. My point is, Jesus' speech, what he was sharing, and again, we understand through the working of the Spirit and the prompting, but his speech was so impacting that even his enemies were stumped at how he handled things. They couldn't understand. They were just amazed. They were, they were confronted with truth. And so what I wanted to do this morning is do something a little bit odd is, is the way we do studies here, is instead of lecturing, let you, um, let you do the study, so to speak. I'll give you background information. You look at the story that we're headed for in Luke chapter 2, and uh, we're going to look at just several accounts where Jesus spoke. And I want you to identify what his speech patterns were in the sense of how did he speak that was so amazing. We're in Luke chapter 2 at the very end of the chapter. In Luke chapter 2, his parents went to Jerusalem, verse 41, every year at the, year, at the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. Luke 2, verse 43. When they had fulfilled the days they, as they returned, uh, Jesus tarried behind. Joseph and Mary knew it not. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey. They sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintances. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. It came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the middle of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. That's mom and dad. And mother said unto him, son, why have you dealt with us. 
thus. Behold, thy father and, my, and I have sought thee sorrowing. He said, How is it that you sought me? Wist ye not I must be about my father's business? They understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings. Okay, so identify Jesus as a lad. Okay, how old was he about this time? He's about 12, 12 years old, okay? Um, he's alone in the temple with the temple teachers because he's learning, okay? And, and so there's interaction going on. His parents, when they found him after missing for a few days, their reaction is concern and surprise, okay? Concern, obviously, because their son's missing. Surprise in that... What's that? He's at the temple. Is that the part that could be surprising? What, put yourself in their shoes. What kind of child has Jesus been? Perfect child, okay? He's a perfect child. What would, what would have caused them maybe some surprise? Do you think that's it? Okay, there's several possibilities. You said because he's by himself and he's fending for himself, okay? You said you both implied that because he's at the temple... What kid is going to the temple? Okay? But again, Jesus would have already revealed his inclinations, very likely. The surprise could be that he was so inconsiderate of his parents. Think about that for a moment. Because typically as a child, what would he have been revealing all along? Obedience, subjection to him, and all of a sudden he's put them out. In that sense. So they're there. Jesus' response is that famous response you all know. I must. Okay. So what stands out from the, what Jesus said or didn't say when he's talking to his parents? From an earthly point of view, what, what surprises you or stands out? What's that? And I'm, I'm, I'm asking for your fee. Your, there's no right or wrong here. What's that? He didn't apologize to his parents? Okay. He didn't say he was sorry. Okay. 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 So he's obviously revealing something higher up. Okay. Anything else that strikes you about it? Yeah. Okay. So from view, has he sinned against the word of God, against God? Obviously not, okay? What else do you, what stands out? Okay, okay, okay. So he's surprised that they didn't catch it, okay? Anything else stands out? Does he diss his parents beyond that? He's a teenager. His parents don't understand him. What's, What's missing here? the way some teens would talk. Does he rip his parents apart? Does he call them down? Not at all, okay? So even though he's a teen, he's focused on his task, which he reveals about his, his heavenly father. He is respectful. Though he doesn't make a verbal apology, he is still respectful of them in the sense that he's not tearing them apart. There's no stubborn insistence or verbal attacks launched against his parents. What does it say the next verse? What does he do? It goes down to Jerusalem, uh, Naz- goes down to Nazareth, actually north, and he is what towards his parents? 
He's obedient to his parents. So you have Jesus as a teen. Would you call him self-controlled in his speech? Yes or no? You're you're getting some of that. Am I flipping in and out with this microphone? We need to uh, adjust before the morning. Some way, somehow, find some other mic or... Or I'm going to have to stand at the pulpit. (laughs) Kyle, find me another mic. (laughs) Jesus at the wedding of Cana, okay? How old is he at the wedding of Cana? We're in John chapter 2. John chapter 2. How old is Jesus when he's at the wedding of Cana? Give me a rough idea. Okay, about 30. Okay, verse 1, John, John chapter 2. You're familiar with this one. The third day there was a marriage in Cana. The mother of Jesus was there. Both Jesus was called his disciples to the marriage. When they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said, woman, what have I to do with thee? My hour is not yet come. The mother said to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And there were six pots, etc., etc., etc. He tells them to fill the pots, draw the water, and take it. Okay. So he's about 30 years of age. Keep that in mind, okay? Um, Just prior to this, what has he done? Do you remember any of the events just prior to this? Major events in the life of Christ. He's calling some of his disciples. He's baptized by John. He's gone into the wilderness. Okay, so he's had his major introductory ministries. He knows, and he's somewhat declared. Mary and the family would know that all of a sudden he shifted from being a carpenter, he shifted to something different. So they would be aware of that. What is Mary, why do you think Mary is the one saying they have no wine? What does that imply about a couple things? Let me throw this out this way, okay? Why might Mary and Jesus have been there, and Mary is aware of the wine being short? Okay, Mary could be, do you guys ever, do you ever hear wedding caterer, uh, wedding, what do they call them, coordinators? Okay, she may have very well, this could have been a relative and she was coordinating, otherwise what does she have to do in the kitchen? You know, is what some are thinking, so that she has some responsibility here. Okay, but why does she tell Jesus they have no wine? Does she expect him to do something? Yes or no? How do you know that? Because she she turns to the servants and says, whatever he tells you to do, you do. So she has an expectation. Jesus' response indicates that she had something more in mind. Because he responds by saying, my hour is not coming, which means what? What? I'm not ready to totally reveal myself. She's implying, do something great. Do something phenomenal. Okay? And so she might have had in mind that idea based on his response and him knowing her mind, her heart, that she wants him to just, okay, let's, you, you've just got baptized. You're calling disciples. Let's get the ball rolling farther than what he had at that moment. What stands out about the way he responds to his mother? 30 years of age, she doesn't understand him. What stands out? He obeys her? Okay, I, I wouldn't use the word obey. Okay. Because she has an expectation of more. Okay, what shows you he respects her? 
There's a word here. The, the woman. Okay. Not in Bible days. It didn't come across that way. In Bible days, it, it translated modern terms. My lady. Dear lady. Okay. It's a very respectful term. It's very unfortunate that in our English, we just put woman. Okay. But it's a very respectful term. What else strikes you? By, you know, going a little bit further, he obviously, Joyce, you had alluded to it. Okay? In the sense you said that, and I, I said I wouldn't call it obedience, but what does he do for, for her? Okay. So he's giving a hand. So you got this idea, even though she's pushing him. Now, this would never happen to anybody in this room. That your parents are pushing you and you're 30 years of age. And they're asking you, why don't you just, why don't you just, you know, why aren't you married yet? Why don't you have a dozen grandchildren for me? Okay. And you want to do what? Don't say what you want to do. Okay. Don't say. But Jesus is very respectful in the sense, clearly in terms and in his tone, he doesn't mock her. He doesn't turn to the disciples and say, she does this to me all the time. Okay. Nothing like that. Here, let me, let me jump, jump to another text, okay? Woman at the well, way too much to read for sake of time, but you know it well enough. John chapter 4. John chapter 4, remember, they get into the conversation. This woman, you... Well, let's ask the question. Why is it surprising he had a conversation with her? She's a Samaritan. She's a woman. What's that? She's a sinner. She's got history. Okay, she's got history. Okay, that's not a good history. Okay, so he speaks to her. And again, I'm, I'm banking on your memory here. What surprises you or what stands out about the way he talks to this woman? I know I'm pushing you here this morning to be thinking it through very quickly. He's, he's patient with her? What do you mean by that? Well, um, he asks her for a drink, but then he, he um, takes the time to explain, explain himself. Okay. He's not rude about it. Or he's not rude? Okay. Does he bring up her sin? Yes. Yes? What's that? He does talk to her about it. He does talk to her. How do you get the gist of what does he do with it? Where he says... Um, yeah, he says to her, go call your husband and come th- hither. Down, down verse 16. The woman says, I have no husband. Jesus said, you have said well, I have no husband, you, for you have had five husbands, and he who you now live with is not your husband. Okay? He knew about it. Okay? What else stands out about it? Somebody's hand back there. And he still talks with her? Okay. Okay, good point. Good point. Anything else stands out about the way he talks? This is too early in the morning, right? See, I think, I think that's, that's profound in this text. Is he's very gracious, but he's pointed. 
and he hangs with the truth. What is her typical response? As they're conversing, what does she keep on trying to do? Do you remember? Yeah, she points out, we worship, da-da-da-da-da-da. You know, I've got water here. She's always deflecting. She keeps on trying to get him different. What does he do? He just brings her right back to the truth in the sense that, you know, she's talking about the water. She talks about her worship down in verse 20. She says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. You say that in Jerusalem. It's almost like let's debate theology here between churches. He says, woman, and again, what's the word woman mean? What's it imply? Respect and talking to somebody who's disagreeing with him, who's argumentative to a small degree with him, somebody who, she's a Samaritan, she's got a bad history, and he's respectful towards her. But he's pointed with her. Woman, believe me, the hour comes when we shall neither in the mountain here at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship not what we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jew. The hour comes. And then he says, eventually, I am he. So you just got, he's willing to talk to her despite her spiritual need, which, by the way, that in and of itself is probably challenging to most of us in this room because there are certain people we don't talk to when we just take first glance at them. And if we know what they are, we don't want to get touched in a conversation with them. But Jesus would. He's pointed with her when it came to sharing truth. He's polite with her, respectful despite her lifestyle. He's patient with her despite her spiritual arguments. He doesn't tear her down to his disciples when they come back. You want to hear about this guy, this woman I was just talking to? Whew, she's got da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. He doesn't do that. Um, in fact, he just, his comments to them, lift up your eyes and look to the harvest. So in a human perspective, Jesus is not hiding the truth. He's bringing it out. But when he brings it out, do you get a sense that he is caring and careful about what he says? Yes or no? Okay. And yet, frequently, we do this in our circles, is we say, well, you know, the words were brought out, oh, generation of vipers. And we grab the, the rare instance where there was a pointed um, tongue lashing towards the Pharisees after they had accused them of being involved with Beelzebub. We grab that one instance and we make it sound like that's the way Jesus talked to everybody. That gives me the right to be very condescending, critical, and hyper-attacking when I speak to people or when I'm on the Internet. Does that make sense what I'm saying? That happens in our circles? And we justify that. And yes, at the same time, is there a time to contend, fight for the truth? Is there a time to do that? And not back down and get bold and brazen? Absolutely. But is that the normal pattern of Jesus' ministry? Did he tongue lash most everybody he was dealing with? I I propose to you it was just the opposite that he was caring and compassion to most people. The ones that he tongue-lashed were the religious leaders after they rejected him and accused him more and more. 
Let me give you another illustration. Jesus is in the synagogue, Luke chapter 4. You're familiar with this one, okay? Who were the people of, when he goes to Nazareth to speak? He's, out, he's been ministering now for, for a period of time. Well, how do these people know him? Luke chapter 4. Anybody remember his, his background? He grew up in this town. In fact, when he is speaking, go to Luke chapter 4. He comes to Nazareth, Nazareth, verse 16, where he was brought up. The writer wants you to remember this is hometown. Okay? And his, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found a place. Stop right there. Why does he get the book? Why is he reading? What is that telling you? Okay, let me, let me, let me say it, because I'm, I'm dealing with context and culture that if you're unfamiliar, in the service, if we're conducting our service this morning, and <clears throat> let me pick somebody, okay? Uh, Travis, Travis uh, Ulrich comes walking in. Travis grew up here. He was on staff here. He's known. We would gravitate in, in that town. We would gravitate and say, Travis, you come up and be our scripture reader this morning. Because it would be a symbol of honor and respect and recognizing hometown boy. So when Jesus is given the, the scroll and asked to read, what are they indicating towards Jesus? What's the, what's the religious leaders indicating? Respect, honor, okay, hometown boy. He's already getting a name around the area, okay? And so the people are wanting to hear from him to that degree. It doesn't stay that way. Okay, so it starts off with a positive response. Then he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He goes to Isaiah 64. Am I saying that right? Do you have a reference, anybody? 60 or 64? Or 60 what? 61, is it? Okay. Okay, he goes to that text in Isaiah. Anybody remember what that text is that all the Jews knew about? Anybody remember what they would have called this text? What kind of terms? A messianic text. That was well known and taught of, that he would come. So Jesus reads this, and he says to preach it acceptable of the year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. All the eyes of them that were in the synagogue, synagogue were fast, uh, fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. Okay? In other words, what did he just claim to these people? Okay? And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they're sitting there in the church service whispering to one another, which you would never do. They're whispering and going, what are they asking each other? Yeah, how can this be? How can this be? This is Joseph. We remember him as a you know, runny-nosed little boy. You know, the, the, or the Joseph's son. This is Jesus. How can he... You know, how can he be? But by the way, they have heard over the years. Can anything good come out of? Yeah. So they've heard that, 
And so he says, and he gives them a a passage and proverbial saying and talks about how Elijah ministered to the woman of Sidon, etc., etc. And all they, in verse 28, all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, how did they respond? They're filled with wrath. Because he has just said, God is working right now, the Messiah is here, and the Messiah is going to open up his ministry to the Gentiles. Just like Elijah ministered to the, the woman of Sidon, and in the same way, and there was healing there, God's going to work and do these great works even among the Gentiles. And they are filled with anger. And their response is, because they're so angry, verse 29, what do they want to do with them? They, they have an invitation. They all come forward. Yeah, and they grab him. They led him to the brow of the hill whereon the city was built. And what's their intent to do with the hometown hero? They're going to kill him. Okay. So, did Jesus? Here's 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 the question. Did Jesus know this was going to happen before he preached to them? Okay. So he knows all this. How does he speak to these people, though he knows the hardness of their heart? He's still gracious. It even says. Okay, what were somebody over here? Okay, he's gentle. Okay, extremely compassionate. All bear witness, marveled at his gracious words, how patient, loving, and speech he was, in, and even though he knew they wouldn't be kind to him. He could have cursed them, he could have attacked them, he could have blinded them, he could have done anything. Okay, but he doesn't respond. He is extremely patient because of what he says, no prophet is welcomed in his, own, in his own country. What does he mean by that? Your greatest critics can be the people who know you the best. Okay. And so, you know, this is one of those texts that it's like, okay, um, sometimes you guys, you and me, we're not the best ones to reach our own family. Sometimes somebody else is. Why is that? Because they know us too well. And they would identify and they usually pick the rare moments when we fall flat, but they don't forget them. Okay, and so, um, just profound speech. And again, I, I don't mean to belabor something simple that you're already getting, but just, this is Jesus in Luke chapter 9. And he's on his journey in Luke chapter 9. And I'm picking some selected passages to drive home a point. Luke chapter 9, it says in verse 51, okay, and this is towards the end of his ministries. It came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans. Remember, from going to Galilee down to Jerusalem, you have to go through Samaria or go on the other side of the Jordan River. So he's going through Samaria, And he sends a messenger ahead to say, hey, make ready for him. Or in other words, give me a room. What's the response of this town when they hear that Jesus is coming? They did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. Now remember, at this moment, everybody knows about his miracles. Everybody knows that he's drawn crowds. These people don't want him because they're, they're not put out by his miracles. What are they put out by? His, his thought, the idea of his headed for Jerusalem is highlighting what about his background? 
his nationality. He's a Jew. How are the Samaritans responding? With anti-Judaism, with prejudice. By the way, were the Jews prejudiced against the Samaritans? Were the Samaritans prejudiced against the Jews? Was Jesus prejudiced towards anybody? No. Had he ministered to the Samaritans? Yeah. This time, these people want nothing to do with him, even though he's a popular guy, because he's still going to be favorable to the Jews by headed to Jerusalem. So they're rejecting him. How do you respond when somebody accuses you of being prejudiced? How do you respond internally? Somebody accuses you of being prejudiced. What do you want to do? You get upset? Self-defensive? Yes? Okay, watch what happens. You're just like the rest of the disciples. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, will you that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Okay, even as Elijah did. Okay, they wanted to put any word in here. They want to torture them. Okay. Okay. So they want a form of revenge. They want to, and they're going to strike back. And Jesus, could he strike back? Absolutely. Okay. He turns, and what does he say, do to the men? What's your Bible read? Verse 55. What does he do with his disciples? He rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And he went to another village. Okay, so you've got the story that goes, okay, what stands out? Okay, let me, let me ask you this. Why is Jesus sending a messenger ahead of time? What does that indicate about him and his men? And this isn't profound, okay? What are, but what are they wanting to do? They need a place to stay. What does that tell you? They're tired. Okay, they're tired. This isn't profound. But how do you get when you're tired? Okay, this is the setting. Put it in the setting. Jesus has been traveling all day. They've been walking. They're tired. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They want a place to stay. And the hotel says, you're Jews. We won't give you a room. Okay? So how does he respond? I'm going to torture your hotel, is what the disciples say. How does Jesus respond? What's there? What's missing? What's there? And what, and what, what does he do? Doesn't he do? He's not angry. He's not vindictive. Okay? What's that? Right again, we're back to compassion. Even when he's hungry and tired. I'm glad we're all like Jesus. That even when we're hungry and tired, and we're driving home hungry and tired, and somebody does a stupid move in front of us with their car, we are the, at the peak of compassion. That's not the case, okay? okay? That's not the case for most of us, but that's the case with Jesus. Despite his physical tiredness and hunger, how does he respond? Graciously, okay? Any other words? What other, what other thoughts might you have? 
What's that? Concerned. Concerned. Okay. What did somebody say? He goes to plan B. Oh, excellent point. Excellent point. There's another option without getting so upset. Write this down. Okay. So that you can point this out to me later. Okay. When I... Go ahead, Greg. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. Because he brings back the Son of Man. Excellent. Okay. Really good. Really good. Good thoughts. Okay. He doesn't rip the Samaritans because they didn't do what he wanted. He's not vindictive. He kindly rebuked his closest friends. And even dealing with the disciples, do you get a sense that he's ripping their head off? No. But is he being pointed with them? Okay. And I'm so glad that all of us with our family members who say something dumb when we're tired and hungry, we are so gracious and patient. And we don't take their heads off. Aren't you glad we're so much like Jesus? Okay? Here's, here's another spot. Another thought. And Greg, this goes with what you said. His words matched his mission. Okay? What's our mission when it comes to dealing with the lost? What's our mission? Bring them, bring them to the gospel. What might we do that would drive them away from the gospel? Okay? The way we respond, the way we talk when they may not be receptive, fine. You don't want to listen to me? Burn. Okay. Okay, we have to be extremely, extremely careful. Okay, here's one for you. Do you did you realize that Jesus had multiple brothers? Yes? Were they believers? Not during his lifetime. John chapter 7. Interesting. you got to go there. Somebody I just talked to in the, in the recent weeks said they never knew he had family, and they never knew, they thought all of his family were born again. And that's not the case in scriptures. Okay, We know he has how many brothers at least? Anybody remember? Okay, there's at least five that are listed in scripture, if not six. And then he has at least two sisters. So Mary and Joseph, let's get rid of this image of Mary and Joseph, that... Um, that they maintained a lifestyle of virginity that some churches claim. That's not true. They were normal people that had bunch of, a bunch of kids afterwards. John chapter 7. Jesus is the oldest. He's with his brothers. And after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk... What's he mean by in Jewry? He would not walk in Jewry. Anybody have a note? You have something there? Judea? Okay. You've got, you've got a, how many have a translation Judea? Okay, some of, some of us have Jewry. That's the idea. He wouldn't go down in the areas that were predominantly Jewish, like Jerusalem and Judea. So he wasn't going in the southern area, he was staying in the northern area. Because he would not walk. Why is it that he didn't want to go down to Jerusalem at this moment? Because there's some, okay. The problem is, verse 2. What's the problem? The Feast of... Okay, Tabernacles. What's that mean? All the Jews are traveling down to the two major feasts. One is Passover, and the second one is Tabernacles. Now, the Galileans got a buy as, as time went by. The, many of the Jews of Jerusalem gave them a buy if they could only come once. 
but if they could, they were supposed to come and the two feasts. So this is requiring Jesus to go to Jerusalem, but in the recent weeks and months, he's been staying away from Jerusalem because there's a warrant out for his arrest. And so that's the setting. What happens here? His brothers therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you do. For there is no man that does anything in secret, and he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do those things, show yourself to the world. For neither did his brothers believe in him. There are some commentators that comment on this that say that the brothers were giving Jesus advice to rethink his plans, as if very positively these brothers are trying to help Jesus in his ministry and to help him to make proper decisions. Therefore, they're advising, you know, it really would behoove you to go down to Jerusalem and maintain your testimony by showing up. People are going to expect you, and even though they're trying to kill you, trust God the Father and he'll take care of you. That sounds extremely positive, but I don't think that's the tone of the brothers. So I disagree with most commentaries that talk about this. And the reason I do that is because of this one phrase. Verse 5. Okay? Verse 5 highlights what? Their unbelief. So I understand that what it's doing is they are not encouraging him in a positive way. They are doing what brothers do. Okay? They are mocking him. And they are saying, basically, well, if you're such a showman, then show yourself. Why are you hiding out here in Galilee? If you're, if you're claiming to be Messiah, then prove it. Nobody, nobody hides themselves who claims they want people to follow. And so there's a mockery going on here. There's a criticism. They're brothers who are basically... How do you think they felt towards Jesus? Jealous? Yeah, because mom and dad always talk about you. I mean, seriously. Family dynamics. How would you like to have grown up with Jesus as your older brother? No, from a, from a real point of view. What would you have gotten sick and tired of? Right? Your teachers are always saying, why can't you be like Jesus? Okay. Yeah, mom and dad are saying, Jesus, watch the others. We can trust you. We can't trust Joseph and these others because, you know, they're not as good as you. I mean, even in our families where we're all on the same plane and we're all sinners, do we get jealousies between siblings? That mom and dad showed more favoritism towards them? Yeah. And so they don't, and by the way, as adults, do we keep hanging on to some of that jealousy? Or when we say, I do, we're done, and none of those feelings, they're all gone. Are they still there in some, nobody wants to admit it, okay? None of us want to admit it. But family dynamics, when we get married, do they even get more strained at times? They do, they do. And uh, so here he is, and Jesus responds, in verse, in verse 6. And this helps from my perspective to say what they're pushing for is what Jesus says, this isn't right. My time has not yet come, but your time is already here. The world cannot hate you, but the world hates me because I testify. Oh, this is really good for this morning service. Okay? Uh, because I testify of it, and the works thereof are evil. Go ye up unto the feast, 
I will go not up yet unto the feast. You guys go. I'm not going to go with you. My time has not yet come. And so apparently they take off. Brothers taking off for the feast. Remember, mom and dad have trained them that they do the feast. Did Mary and Joseph hit all the feasts? Yeah, they did. So they would have grown up in this Jewish mindset that was very consistent. So why don't you go up with us? Show yourself. And Jesus says, you guys go. And he does go, by the way. If you read the next couple of verses, when he had said these words unto them, he stayed in Galilee. But when his brothers were gone up, then he went up also to the feast, but not openly. He maintained a low profile because his hour has not yet come. Okay, so what do you got here, okay, with Jesus speaking to his adult brothers who are busting on him? What strikes you about the way he handled it? Anything? He didn't retaliate, okay? Anything else? He explained himself with facts. Okay, he gives facts, explains it, yep. Okay. Yeah, again, we're, we're hitting, thank you, we're hitting the same type of thing, how he is gracious even when he's dealing with it. Even though they didn't believe, believe he appears to be somewhat gracious with them. He didn't retaliate or slam them for their unbelief. He just explains with facts, here's the status, here's what's going on at this point. He's not demanding or condescending, I'm older, so just shut up. He doesn't claim that position. Does, not, does family members in your household ever claim position of... I'm smarter, I'm older. Okay, none of you has happened to. Okay, God bless you. Okay, he spoke candidly and truthfully, the world cannot hate you. And that's true. The world doesn't hate them. Why not? Why does the world hate Jesus but not his brothers? Yeah, yeah, he's, Jesus, you know, Jesus is portraying truth. They themselves are not even, they're, they're not believers at this point. And so he deals with it again. We're, we're talking just, again, you know the story. Jesus, this woman's taken in adultery. You know the story that all of a sudden, what does Jesus do when the men are accusing her? He kneels down, writes in the dirt. We don't know what he wrote. And then what does he say to the woman when he looks up? And he says, where are your accusers? And they're all gone. And basically the response Jesus says to her... Um, he says, woman, where are, those, where are those your accusers? In verse 10, have no man condemned thee? And she says, no, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Again, what word does he use in addressing this lady? Woman, what does that tell you? Okay, he's still being gracious to this person. Okay, I, I, let me pose this one because this is, this is where I battle. None of you, but this is where I battle. Jesus knows when to be quiet. Is there wisdom in not saying things? Right? Okay. So while they're making accusations, instead of him getting into a verbal argument, he just remains quiet. He doesn't rave about or lash out publicly at their hypocrisy. There is no verbal launching off, but are the leaders totally hypocrites in this one? Yes? How, how do we know they're hypocrites? Who do, who do they leave out? The guy. They don't bring the guy. They bring just the woman. This is a, this is a staged situation. 
It's a setup. So he doesn't lash out and call them out. And again, many postulate that what he might have been writing in the sand was... You've read this. You've heard this. He might be writing out what they did, what they're guilty of. We don't know for sure. But um, he's not loud or or repeated blasting them. He's kind and reassuring to this woman who, what did she deserve? To be stoned. She deserved it, okay? He didn't totally ignore or excuse her guilt, but he doesn't keep on saying, you're really guilty. You're really guilty. You're really guilty. The fact is she knows it. She knows it already, okay? And then what does he reassure her of? of the forgiveness of God encourages her to go and do what's right. Um, let me get up to one more that I wanted to just say. Jesus is on the cross. What does he say while he's on the cross? Father, forgive them. Why? Okay, okay. What could he have done? According to Matthew, what could he have called? The 10,000 angels. He could have, okay? So what stands out? And by the way, he's in conversation. He's in conversation with two other guys. What is the one thief doing to him? Ridiculing. What is the other thief doing? Okay, so this guy defends Jesus and says, we deserve to die. He doesn't. And Jesus says to him, to him about, you know, remember me. What does Jesus say? Today you will be with me. Okay, what stands out about Jesus? Okay, set the scene. Set the scene here. What is Jesus feeling? Pain. Okay. Rejection. Spiritual too, physical, emotional, separated from the Father. And how does he respond? Graciously, again, on the cross. Do you want to add to this? Okay. He doesn't retaliate. He does not resort to denying or lying to escape. He, in his words, remains focused on his mission. He is ministering words of encouragement to others. In fact, what does he reach, who does he reach out to and help beyond the thief? His, his own mother, his own mother at this moment. Okay? He speaks to compassion and with respect. Again, he says, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. He asks God to forgive them. They know not what they do. Me? If somebody were to physically attack me or my friends... My reaction is not typically to say, Father, forgive them, they know not what to do. My reaction is more like James and John. God, bring down the fire. Okay, food for thought. Do you talk like Jesus in your words, in your reactions? And I know it's very simplistic the way we did this, and for some it was just, you know, not profound, but for me examining and saying, how much am I like Christ? This is where the rubber meets the road.